Welcome back to The Real Spill with Ryan and Kurt. Uh, let's talk a little bit about metals, Kurt, and, and this ongoing clean energy transition. A lot of, uh, you know, you, you get the word megatrend occasionally thrown around, but many are aware of kind of the renewable energy transition and obviously the growth of electric vehicles over the past decade. But even with this growth, we've seen somewhat weakening in metal prices, especially over the past, say, six to 12 months. Um, it, you know, with ongoing diminishing supply to meet this increasing projected demand uh, with these, you know, copper, lithium, cobalt, iron, or um, aluminum, uh, among others, you know, how do you see the recent weakness uh, in pricing fitting into the longer story? Sure. Hey, Ryan. I I think this is natural in this cycle. Uh, you know, this if we are in a long-term let's call it a, a sector-driven super cycle in metals prices, it's not going to be a straight line. So there is going to be volatility. And one of the things probably impacting metals overall right now is that they often are tied directly to industrial demand um, associated not necessarily with electric vehicles and renewable energy, but more traditionally with construction, um, economic development, GDP growth, uh, and their critical components in general industry and manufacturing. Um, there are some concerns about global GDP. There's you know, been weakening numbers projected from the World Bank or from the IMF on a global basis, although U.S. economy has done well and seems to still be robust. There are concerns about China slowing down, um, and we're seeing interest rates at an elevated level right now. Um, and uh, uh, they're projected to remain higher for longer. And so that can, you know, higher interest rates, higher cost of borrowing can be um, a, a negative factor for, you know, expanding economies. So I think there's some short-term headwinds and, and metals are taking uh, uh, the brunt of some of that outlook or sentiment. But this longer-term story is still very strong and intact. Um, the projected demand growth in things like aluminum and copper and battery metals such as cobalt and lithium is extraordinary uh, in its scale and its persistence lasting, you know, multiple years into a decade. Um, and I think that the, the medium term to longer term story is still intact and maybe his, that, that spring has coiled a little bit more uh, as prices have remained soft and the industry has been underinvested over the prior decade. Absolutely. And, and as we discussed earlier, Kurt, I mean, it, it's, it's hard for these inventories to bounce back, right? I mean, can you talk a little bit about just the amount of time that it takes to, you know, um, get these inventories back up? They're already extremely tight markets. The projected demand for, for all of these different battery uh, input metals is, is significant over the next decade. And, and the supply just isn't there right now. Um, can you talk a little bit about you know, what needs to happen for this supply to meet the ongoing demand? Sure, Ryan. You know, one of the things that we care a lot about as a fundamental to commodity markets is the relative state of inventories of any particular commodity. You know, the challenge for commodities is that they're sometimes hard to observe. Um, there is actually decent data on metals. There are inventories from exchange warehouses for the, the COMEX exchange, which is part of the CME group, the London Metals Exchange is one of the large clearinghouses of uh, industrial metals prices. And then the Shanghai Exchange also has begun to produce some data on observed inventories. Now, it doesn't include private in, you know, warehouse stocks um, and, and other uh, sources of potential inventory. But 
it certainly gives you a, a sense of at least reported inventories and regulated inventories. We're seeing, like for example, copper and aluminum at 20 to 30 year lows for the London Metals Exchange. So wh- while prices have softened and, and weakened, we've seen inventories go from very low levels to really low levels that we haven't witnessed before uh, in our financial careers. Uh, the problem there is that, you know, when you have a lot of commodities, let's just say, for example, corn, if you have a ton of corn in silos and um, there's an uh, increase in demand, you know, for ethanol, for something else, or there's a decrease in supply because of a weather shock, you know, drought or flooding in the uh, plain states of the U.S. that uh, creates a shock to uh, supply. Demand goes up, supply goes down, or both. If you have a ton in inventory, it's no big deal. You can just deliver from inventory from, you know, USDA report, reported, you know, warehouses and silos, and um, you deplete inventories, but you have it there. So you'll have a, a, a price impact, but it will be muted. Things get really interesting when inventories are very low because now any shock to supplier demand has an outsized effect because you don't have this buffer stock to deliver from. And I highlight that as just an example because the buffer stocks, the, the above ground inventories in these metals across the board are at multi-decade lows. Um, so why don't we increase supply? Well, I think we're going to try to, but there's an incredible headwind that's specific to the metal sector that's different from en- met, uh, energy or agriculture. Uh, energy is probably the eas- easiest to resolve because of this invention that we've all heard of over the last 10, 15 years, which is hydraulic fracturing, horizontal drilling. We're able to do that very well in the U.S. There's other parts of the world where it may not be as a uh, technology that's as easily exportable or implementable because you need to have access to water. It needs to, you need to have access to infrastructure and labor. But in the U.S., it works great. And we've gone from being an energy importer to an energy exporter of gas and, and uh, through LNG or through oil. Agriculture is a little bit slower, but, you know, you, you can, within one harvest cycle, typically one year, you can rotate into a crop that's undersupplied. You see farmers doing this every year, switching from soybeans to wheat to corn, and where's the opportunity set? But you can also create more arable land, you know, improve agriculture, add more fertilizer, maybe have um, um, some innovations in, in genetic modifications that increase yield. So, you can deal with an agricultural shortage typically in a one to two year time frame if it's a focus of a government or an economy to expand. Metals, there's just no shortcuts. And this is this technology that we use to extract metals from the earth is the same thing that we largely have used for the last you know 50 years or more. It takes roughly 10 years, Ryan, to site to, to explore, identify an under, underground reserve of copper or aluminum or uh, even precious metals like gold or silver, <clears throat> and the technology is largely the same. You have to get local permitting. That can be a multi-year process dealing with local um, you know, populations and governments, um, dealing with what is a environmentally hazardous process sometimes uh, in the extraction of metals from the earth. Then you have to spend billions of dollars to create a mine of, of reasonable scale, you have to bring in hundreds or more than a thousand workers to extract that. Uh, and then you have to get it from the mine to a refinery or a place to purify that metal. Um, we know that this process 
you know, even 10 years can be sometimes short for some of these mines. It's often 15 years or longer. And sometimes these mines don't get approved. Uh, I've seen that happen in the U.S. because of environmental concerns. Um, we found one of the largest deposits of copper um, in northern Minnesota um, in the last decade. Uh, uh, I think it's the largest deposit in North America ever found. Problem is it's close to the boundary waters in these protected um, nature areas. And uh, after a multi-year effort, the development of that mine was stopped. So um, I think that sets us up really strongly. I, when I mentioned a coiled spring before, I think the tension is really building here because I don't see anything interrupting this growing demand. Um, it's not just a government effort to try to move us away into these greener energy sources like solar or wind or greener transportation processes like electrified uh vehicles um, or hybrid vehicles, uh, including electric trucks, electric buses, public transportation, they are all going to grow steadily over the next decade because consumers want it and governments want it. So there's sort of a, there's two tailwinds to demand there. Um, and it will be persistent and it will be, you know, a multi-year evolution. We are not seeing a supply response. We're seeing an underinvested sector of, of, of the world economy and of commodities in particular. Weak prices in the 2010s led to an entrenching and survival mentality among the, the main metal producers. And, um, and then we hit COVID, and now we've got this new demand, but we're not seeing it really factor and flow through into higher prices over the last six to 12 months. They're still not playing offense which means we're continuing to kick the can down the road for a, a potential supply response to what I think is sort of baked in as a long-term growing demand. Yep. So already tight markets um, in, in terms of, of, of supply, you've got underinvestment and in, in new mines and what is expected to, to be brought uh, into the supply. But also you, you just mentioned the mining and, and the hundreds of, of workers and, and how much of a, you know, extremely energy intensive process it is to not only mine, but also transport and refine these metals. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the effects of the cost of energy and uh, the increasing cost of labor to uh, to expand production and, and refine these metals? Sure. I mean, one of the things that's kind of interesting about metals is that they tend to be geographically concentrated. So we know that a huge amount of the world's copper comes out of Peru and Chile. And they've had um, uh, interesting, you know, political uh, events over the last, say, three to five years, where you have more progressive government leaders, more focused on the workers as opposed to industry. There's even been discussion of potentially nationalizing mines and centralizing the revenues generated from these mines uh, in directly to the government. Um, and there's a lot of concern uh, about environmental impact. Um, you know, we're not going to run out of copper. I mean, we're not going to run out of aluminum on the planet. We have hundreds of years in the Earth's crust. The problem is getting it out and then getting it refined. You know, and, and, and aluminum is, is a great example. You know, there, I think 10% of the Earth's crust is uh, composed of aluminum in some um, compound form. Um, to take it from uh, you know, aluminum in the earth to pure aluminum that you would use in manufacturing or an in industry is really because of a process we've developed over many decades ago. It's really a pure power cost, energy cost. So higher energy prices are going to mean 
you know, even with abundant supplies of aluminum, the cost of aluminum is going to go up. And um, um, also we have geographic concentration of refining. So a lot of raw copper comes out of Peru and Chile, but a lot of the refining into copper rolls that can be used in industry happens in China because they've had abundance copper, they've had low labor unit cost, and really not that much concern about the environment compared to other developed countries. So you've got a geographic concentration of finished product copper coming out of China. You know, to the extent there's trade disputes or tensions with China, that could disrupt global supply of copper. All of those things, like we've talked on prior, prior podcasts, they tend to be things that interrupt supply while demand is going up, and that comes through into higher prices. Definitely seems like a ton of tailwinds for the for the metal space over the next you know, decade or so. Uh, this has been The Real Spiel with Ryan and Kurt. Love to get your feedback. Any questions, topics you like covered at the Real Spiel at uscfinvestments.com. And we will talk to you next week.